Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. You're listening to WSBU The Buzz. You are listening live to WSBU's coverage from Super Bowl 57 Radio Row in Phoenix, Arizona. Arizona. Welcome to day four of coverage from Super Bowl Radio Row here on WSPU 88.3 The Buzz. Welcome everybody, Nathan Solomon, Johnny Walker. You are listening into the Director's Cut, another jam-packed show ahead today. Pretty crazy that this week is already kind of starting to wrap up a little bit. Three days down, two days to go. Uh, it feels like we just got here yesterday. Yeah, I've, we're closer to the finish than we are to the start. And it feels like we're just getting our toes wet. I mean, it really feels like we could have touched down yesterday. I know. And um, instead, we are leaving in like two days now. So we, we fly out Saturday. It is Thursday night. Um, pretty crazy. But um, we're going to enjoy these last two days and hopefully bring in some big interviews for you guys. On In our content yesterday, we had a couple of very big interviews. So be sure to uh, listen back our podcast all three days of shows are now up on podcasting platforms, so uh, be sure to check it out, WSBU, the, uh, 88.3 FM, The Buzz on Spotify. Uh, I think it's that's what the like name or handle is or whatever, but um, so check that, look that up, and be sure to uh, be, be sure to give it a listen because yesterday was a good day of shows. But um, again, more in store here today, but we are going to talk, of course, some Super Bowl, but not the teams competing here in this first part of the show. We're going to talk about some of the teams that, that, that fell a little bit short of making it to the Super Bowl. Uh, a lot of teams felt like they had Super Bowl caliber rosters this year, but in the end, only one team from each conference can, of course, make it to the big game. So um, we will start in the AFC, and we'll start with the AFC runner-up. Cincinnati Bengals, of course, the, the Chiefs won uh, against the Bengals in the AFC Championship on a game-winning kick. Uh, you know, Joseph Asai pushing out Patrick Mahomes there on that last play of the game, and that was Steve's on air. That's nice. Um, but, um... No uh, bless you, Nate? Uh, no bless you? No, no bless you. Wow. Um, uh, that controversial play in bless the end. Bless you. But, <laughs> thanks, Steve. Um, <laughs> and, and then, um, you know, the, the Bengals falling short there. But, uh, they made this game last year, but what, what do you think kind of went wrong for the Bengals, if anything? Or do you think they just kind of got, uh, outplayed there in that AFC Championship game? Did they get outplayed? I mean, it's hard to say no, but... That was a game that could have been won by either team, and it seemed like neither team really wanted to win it. It was knotted at 20-20 to 20 for the most of the fourth quarter. And the one thing we've always said about Joe Burrow is that if he has a chance to win the game at the end of the game, he's going to do it. He's Joe Cool. Joe Burr, feeling a little cold in here yet, Nate? And he just didn't do it. I mean, they had a chance late in the game. Third down, he gets sacked by Chris Jones. 
and effectively gave the ball back to the Chiefs, who went on to win that game. The, another thing that kind of bit the Bengals was injuries. You know, in the playoffs, offensive line injuries became a thing. Three of their five starters were out at some point. But they have a very good roster. The offensive weaponry that they have is unmatched. I mean, between Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon, Hayden Hurst, you can just keep going and going all day listing names. So I think that roster, it could win a Super Bowl for the foreseeable future, especially, like Joe Burrow said, his entire career is their Super Bowl window in Cincinnati. And, and he's not wrong either. There's a couple of quarterbacks that... I think can fall into that same category, and I mean, in the AFC alone, um, you know, certainly Mahomes. I mean, he, he's going for Super Bowl number two here on Sunday uh, in his third appearance. Uh, I'd, I'd still put Josh Allen in that category. Obviously, I think I think the Bills are a little bit further behind than those two teams, so I think they still need a few pieces. But we'll touch on on them in a minute. But um, the Bengals, though, you you, meant, you mentioned it, of course, they were a little beat up on the offensive line, but. Over the season, that was still really their, their main weakness. That, you know, they, they made some improvements on the offensive line from last season to this season, but it didn't really bite them in, in, until the playoffs and, and uh, until the end of the season when, when their depth was really tested. Yeah. Did you say Bills or Bengals? Bengals, I'm sorry. Bill, uh, Bengals. Clear. We'll, okay. we'll get to the Bills in a minute. Yeah, and it was weird because we expected that to be a very big storyline heading into the Bills-Bengals game in the playoffs. And it wasn't. Their offensive line kept Joe Burrow clean all day. The Bills could not get any pressure whatsoever. So then going into Kansas City, the question was, is the offensive line fine? Like, are these injuries really not going to play the factor we thought they would play? And it was not the case against Kansas City. So I don't know if that says more about the Bengals' offensive line depth or more about the Bills' defensive deficiencies. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it certainly showed up regardless on the AFC Championship game. That was one of the reasons... You can argue why they lost that game was because of the offensive line. Joe Burrow did not look great in that game. Um, was was under a lot of pressure, under a lot of duress. There's so. some bad picks. Yeah, and, and again, I mean, obviously he's the one that throws it, so it, it's it's technically his fault. But uh, again, if there's a collapsing pocket and there's not as much time to throw, then um, you know it's certainly easier for a quarterback to make bad decisions. So I think the line might have some some of it. Like some impact on it, but um, again, not not all of it though can be on the offensive line. But I think if there's really one place that the Bengals need to focus on, it's just continuing to improve that offensive line and give Joe Burrow uh, a little bit of stability on that front line because otherwise they're a pretty good team. Like they're, they're, there's no other true weakness on that squad really besides that offensive line. So um, for them, just making sure that they shore that up, and then you know switching gears to the Bills. It kind of feels like they're they're in a similar boat. I think they have a few more weaknesses than just the offensive line, but the offensive line it is certainly uh, another topic of debate uh, for that Buffalo squad. Yeah. It feels like they've kind of taken a step back in everybody's eyes from where they were last year at this time. The team as a whole or the line? The team as a whole. The team as a whole is not being talked about in the same conversation that they were at this time last year. Because at this time last year, it was the Bills are in the same tier as the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, they kind of just got unlucky a little bit. That's not the case this year. This year, you know, there's a clear top two in the AFC, and the Bills are probably the clear number three. Now, the reasons for that, maybe the Bills never belonged in the Kansas City Chiefs tier in the first place. And the only reason they were there is because Josh Allen masked so many of their deficiencies. When he's playing like Superman, that team looks unbeatable. But when he's just, as you saw against Cincinnati, he didn't make any really crucial mistakes. I mean, deep into the fourth quarter, he was without a turnover. But he wasn't playing like Superman. 
and the offensive line got exposed. The lack of offensive weapons outside of Diggs got exposed. The defensive line for the Bills got exposed. And then injuries for the Bills. Injuries were a huge thing for them this year that didn't get talked about enough. We talked about the defensive line. I mean, Von Miller's just about the only injury they got talked about, but Micah Hyde missed basically the entire season. Jordan Poyer missed most of the, not most, a lot of the season and was banged up when he was on the field. Tremaine Edmonds missed time. Matt Milano missed time. Tredavious White missed over half the season, and then when he got back on the field, he wasn't quite right. He really only had maybe one, maybe two games where he looked yeah. 100%. Like, he looked really good in that first-round game against Miami. And against the Bengals, he looked lost. Yeah, he got torched against the Bengals. Got torched. So... And then now the Bills are in an interesting spot with some free agents because you got Edmonds coming up. Do you give somebody's going to pay Tremaine Edmonds big money? Can it be Buffalo? Would it be Buffalo? Can Buffalo even afford that? I don't think they can. I don't think they can either. So now you have a hole in your linebacking core. Uh, Jordan Poyer, I believe, is another guy who's up. Yeah, and I'm not sure they can afford either of them, to be honest. Like, um, I mean, they're really tied on money. And keep in mind, I mean, with, with Allen's contract really kicking in, that's another 20-something million dollars per year next year. So that really limits them at what they're able to do unless they, they find a way yeah. to really free up space elsewhere. But that wouldn't come without them losing another key piece. It basically, the amount of money that the cap went up this year is just the amount of increase in Josh Allen's salary. So you're basically working with the same cap you had last year when player salaries just keep going up and up and up. And interesting, you know, comparing the two years teams because last year they had a they had a worse or excuse me they had a better record this year compared to last year. They were thirteen and three this year in the regular season. They were eleven and six in the regular season last year, correct? And it felt like they were a better team last year too. And even though for like it, it looked like there was like an outside chance they could miss the playoffs up until about week sixteen last year. Yeah. Um. Obviously got in and and you know could have should have would have been in the AFC Championship game if not for thirteen seconds, but. And then this year they finished the regular season what, and winning their last eight, but it wasn't really pretty. Not convincing. And then uh, I think a lot of people were, were certainly skeptical going into the playoffs. The Miami game was closer than I, than I think most people imagined it would be, especially with Skylar Thompson. I mean, if Tua plays that game, I think that the Dolphins probably win it. Yeah. And then, of course, what happens there against the Bengals. But, yeah, definitely injuries for sure. Uh, but the Bills are going to have to get very creative this offseason. I mean, they, they need a wide receiver too. I don't think the answer is Gabe Davis there. I think he can still be no. a valuable piece on that roster. But as a wide receiver three, not a wide receiver two, he didn't have a great year. Uh, had a couple of big games, but had a ton of drops. That, that really hurt them too. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, if, if you're the Bills, who do you prioritize the most in the offseason? I would love for them to re-sign Jordan Poyer. He would be at the top of my list, figure out how to bring Jordan Poyer back. Because when this secondary is healthy and they're all on the field at the same time, they are the best secondary in the National Football League. I don't think there's many people that would argue against the Bills with a healthy Trey White, healthy Jordan Poyer, healthy Micah Hyde being the best secondary in the NFL. All right, so we touched on the number two and number three teams in the AFC. We'll switch gears a little bit. We'll go to... Arguably the number two and the number three teams in the NFC. And we will start here with the NFC runner-up, the San Francisco 49ers. In a game that we've seen them in a lot, they've only been able to break through the NFC Championship game once. But um, second year in a row, though, they fall short in that game. Um, certainly the quarterback play was uh, a huge impact in you know in, in that game. Um, against the Philadelphia Eagles, but is there anything else that, that you think that they might need? Because it feels like they're just so close, but they can't get over the edge. And, and now with that quarterback position, uh, contract-wise, there's a lot of questions. Yeah, so the Niners have the simplest answer and the hardest answer because it's the quarterback position. 
the easy answer, but it's the hardest position in the National Football League to get right. And they've been trying to get it right for what seems like five years now. You had Jimmy Garoppolo bring them to a Super Bowl a few years back. You spend high draft capital on Trey Lance. He gets hurt, hasn't really looked like the number three overall pick that he was. And then Brock Purdy this year, Mr. Irrelevant becomes Mr. Relevant, gets hurt. And your offense can't do anything about it because at that point you're on your fourth string quarterback who then also gets hurt. So the easy answer, quarterback. The hard answer, quarterback. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it a little bit before on this show. I think last week on the director's cut, um, you know, it, it looks like Jimmy G is, is probably going to be heading out of San Francisco. Where he goes, yeah. don't know. Could be New York, could be somewhere else. Um, you know, they'll obviously be keeping Brock Purdy. Will he start? That's the big question. Trey Lance, will he be ready by week one? Well, actually, will, will Brock Purdy be ready by week one, too? The report, the re- most recent report is they expect Purdy in trading camp. Okay. I find that a little hard to believe because of the nature of UCL injuries. But that is the report. And then Trey Lance coming off the ACL, um, correct? A- ACL? I, I believe so. So, I but regardless, a season, a season-ending injury. Um, so, a couple questions there. Like it could be certainly be a a quarterback battle, but it almost feels like they need an elite quarterback on that squad. Uh, the only true elite quarterback available on the market right now is Aaron Rodgers, but he flat out said he's not going there. I think Derek Carr could also be that guy in San Francisco. Just because the roster is already so good, you don't need one of the top of the top quarterbacks for them to compete. I mean, they proved they could do it with Jimmy Garoppolo. Is Derek Carr right now not an upgrade over that version of Jimmy Garoppolo? I think he is. Yeah. I mean, he, I mean they certainly proved they can make it to the NFC Championship game. They haven't proved that they can well, win a Super Bowl yet because they've not been able to do it with, with this roster. Now with Christian McCaffrey, I mean, it feels like they're – is the closest they've ever been, but again, certainly a really huge question there at, at that quarterback spot that um, that they need to really get straightened out. Now, last team here in the NFC, and, and, and uh, a team that kind of had a surprising early departure, not really though, because a lot of people picked the New York Giants to upset them, but it's the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, they're one of the best teams in the NFC all season long. Giants come in a few weeks removed after they lost in a field goal at Minnesota. They get the job done the second time around. So um, Minnesota, it feels like the offense is good enough. Maybe defense is really the the key for them on what they need to show up. Yeah, it's something that doesn't get talked about enough because Kirk Cousins and that offense was really carrying the Minnesota Vikings through the entire season. They had, I forget, it's either yards per game, points per game, one of those two, last in the NFL. And the Kirk Cousins-led offense was carrying them to, I think they finished 13-4, and something like that. That's insane. It's a credit to, I mean, the dominance of Justin Jefferson. What he was able to do, single-handedly beat the Buffalo Bills. I mean, Kirk Cousin plays, played well that game. Justin Jefferson single-handedly beat the Buffalo Bills. Literally, he made a one-handed catch. Yeah, that was that was insane. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it feels like there's a lot of games where the, where the Vikings are, you know, scoring 25, 28, 32 points, kind of somewhere in that range. But then they're only winning the game by you know, three or five points, right, because the, the defense is giving up maybe 23 or 25 mm-hmm. or 27. So um, defensively overall, it, I think that that position group as a whole is, is something that they really need to work on, especially the, the defensive backs. It feels like their, their defensive line is passable, mm-hmm. um, but it, it seems like they need a cornerback or, or safety or a couple of them to um, to really get themselves in, in, in a better spot to contend. Mm-hmm. And really, post-Mike Zimmer, do they have a defensive identity anymore? I mean, on offense, they've hit their stride beautifully. 
They know exactly who they are between Justin Jefferson handing it off to Delvin Cook. Kirk Cousins plays his role. He's a good decision maker, doesn't turn the ball over, plays within the system, and it's a very good system. What is their identity identity on defense? Now? Yeah, I don't. I, don't, I, I agree. I don't think they really have one because all these teams that we've talked about, of course, the two competing teams here in the Super Bowl, the Bills have a clear defensive identity. Um, the Bengals have a defensive identity. It might not be as strong as a team like the Bills, but uh, certainly a, a defensive identity and, and one that w- that's talked about a lot for their playmaking. And then, of course, the, the 49ers, arguably the best defense right now in the NFC or in the NFL. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, it really feels like the Vikings just they, they don't have that playmaker or those play uh, a playmaker to really create that identity. I, I think mm-hmm. that's the best way to phrase it. I completely agree. So those are a couple of teams that fell just short on making the Super Bowl. And we are going to take a break here on the Director's Cut. When we come back, we're going to talk NBA trade deadline because since we talked last, (laughs) a lot has transpired in the National Basketball Association, including a blockbuster right here in Phoenix. So stick with us here. You are listening to the Director's Cut on WSBU 88.3 FM, The Buzz. Building a house is not easy. How's that ukulele treating you? Great job out there. Uh, thank you. Greg, oh, yes. did you give Stephen that instrument? Oh, yeah, he's picking it up so fast I'm running out of things to teach him. Stephen, you want to play them the song you wrote? Um. Come on, you wrote it for them. Seriously, he's really excited to live with you guys. It's, it's all he talks about. Don't you want them to hear it? 88.3 The Buzz. Welcome back to the Director's Cut here, WSBU 88.3 FM, The Buzz, live from Super Bowl 57 Radio Row at the Phoenix Convention Center in Phoenix, Arizona. That intro does not get old, but (laughs) we are going to switch gears and talk NBA because it was a crazy night in the NBA, and not because of the game, but because of the trades. Our guy, Adrian Wojnarowski, was very busy breaking a massive trade last night that is sending... Kevin Durant, right here to Phoenix. He's going to be a Phoenix Sun. Um, and, I mean, the Suns gave up a ton for him. A lot. I mean, oh, my Lord. McCall Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, four first-round picks, a 2028 pick swap, and TJ Warren. Holy moly. That's a big trade. Yeah. That's a lot of pieces. Like, the, the Nets, like, that puts him in a rebuild immediately, and that puts him in a position to, I mean, like, be really good in a couple years, right? Yeah. But, like, the Suns, though, they have the best roster in the NBA now. When healthy. That's the asterisk. When healthy, but it, it's not even close, though. Yes. The, the NBA, as much as we talk about depth, rotation, especially every time the Lakers get brought up, but it's still a superstar-driven league. And the Suns now, when healthy, because Devin Booker's dealing with a groin injury, Kevin Durant, is going to be out for some time. He expects to come back you know, around playoff time is, is the expectation. But when fully healthy, they have more star power than any team in the league. No, I mean, I certainly agree with that. And, and I think the theme is, I mean, we talked about, you know, especially when talking about the Lakers, you know, guys that can play on the ball versus off the ball. Like The, yeah. the guys in the Lakers, um, you know, are, are guys that play on, all have to play on the ball, and sometimes that's why they struggle. But, all these guys really on the Suns, they have the potential to be able to, they to play They will gel the together so well. Oh, absolutely. Kevin I mean, Durant, uh, all about ball. He doesn't need the ball in his hands. He can do anything you need him to do on basketball court. 
Chris Paul, the ultimate true point guard, one of the best true point guards in NBA history. Devin Booker, just lethal scorer, lethal scorer. And then DeAndre Ayton. Like these, these guys will just put on an offensive master class if they all can just you know, get on the same page. And I think they will more so than, than a team like, like the Lakers just because, not, again, not all of them have to be on the ball. I mean, I, I think Booker and Durant are certainly the two most ball-dominant guys on that squad. But then there's a lot of times where you can see them just kind of rolling off screens and doing a lot of catch-and-shoots, and, and they can thrive off of that too. And especially with, with such a distributor uh, like Chris, Chris Paul, I think, if anything, there's a chance that that offense could flow through him even more. I mean, you can see his assist numbers go through yeah, the roof just with those guys because um, each, every time they come down the floor, you know it's going to be in Chris Paul's hands, and he's just going to find situations for you know for, for those other three guys to get buckets. So it takes a lot of the scoring load off of Chris Paul. I mean, obviously there's not a ton of a scoring load on him anyway, but even less so now, where his only goal basically is just to get the ball into those three guys' hands in, in, in good spots to score. And um, I think with, with those four, I mean, I, I, I think that'll be I think that'll be pretty easy to do. So I think you'll see a mix of, like, Durant and, and Booker playing uh, on and off the ball, but I, I think probably uh, a little bit more so off the ball than used to. But, again, like like you mentioned, bo bo both of those guys, um, they, they can do both. They, they can play on and off the ball and, and do it, you know, just as good as anyone in the league. The question really becomes, will that lack of depth that they got rid of bringing in KD, will that affect them more or will it be bringing in another superstar that has the most effect? Um, I mean, I, I think the lack of depth could affect them to an extent for sure. Especially while KD and Booker are dealing with injuries. Yeah, I, I think it could affect them. I mean, I think if you get all four of those guys healthy for the playoffs and you win your championship, I mean, there you go. I mean, I mean, your answer is pretty clear right there. But um, I think to finish up the regular season, yeah, I think I mean, I think, I think it could a little bit in, in, into the first couple of rounds of the playoffs. Um, it definitely could. And, and when you're trying to even, you know get those guys ramped back up too, you're going to want to be able to go um, you know, eight, nine deep if needed. So, um, look, the the trade deadline's in a couple hours still. So, I mean, I, the, for all we know, the Suns might not be done. They could they could be going out and um, finding ways to get a little bit more depth if they're um, you know willing to mortgage away a lot more of their future because there's there's four first round picks right yeah. out the window. There, they don't have so. much future left. Uh, I know, but. You know, even if they can maybe trade a couple of second rounders and, and just get guys that can be, you know, the eighth man, ninth man off the bench, um, come in, maybe make a couple shots, get some stops. You know, I think I think that's really what they need. Maybe only play, you know, ten or fifteen minutes a game, but be guys that can come in and, um, you know, just allow, you know, Durant and, and Booker and, and and Paul and and, and Aiton to, to get on the bench and, and rest as needed. Yeah. So the Suns right now, it's interesting. They're currently fifth in the West. In the West, five through eight, or sorry, four through eight are all within one game of each other. So they are playing a little bit of a dangerous game because you're kind of waiting for Kevin Durant to come back, mortgaging right now for later. But if right now goes really bad, there might not really be the later that you're hoping for. Yeah, definitely. So um, certainly exciting time in Phoenix. They are immediately the championship favorites, in my opinion. Um, I think Vegas would probably agree with that statement as well. So if, if the Suns can get healthy, though, they are going to be a very difficult squad to beat. Now, another trade here. Um, just before that, not as big of a trade. Um, you know, the, the, the Knicks made a deal. Cam Reddish is headed uh, out to the Blazers as well as a uh, protected first-round pick, and they are getting back 
um, Josh Hart, and also the Knicks are sending Ryan Archidiakono and Sivi Micaholic, I think that's his name. <laughs> so my apologies for if I butchered that. But um, Knicks gave up quite a few players there in the first round to, to get Josh Hart, who has played pretty well for the Trailblazers. Mm -hmm. Going to be a little bit of a Villanova reunion with Jalen Brunson as well. So I uh, saw that video on Instagram where he, he was super excited to, to find out that uh, Hart is coming um, to the Knicks. But um, the, the Knicks, though, are putting themselves in a pretty good position. I don't think that they're um, by any means the favorite to win um, um, to win the Eastern Conference, but they're certainly making a case that, that they can compete in, in there in the playoffs at least. Yeah, Josh Hart's a nice player, moves the, the needle a little bit. Um, it's a little unfortunate that you know Cam Reddish and R.J. Barrett coming from Duke to the Knicks didn't really work out. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a nice move. The Knicks are seventh in the East right now. I don't think this really propels them way up the standings or anything like that. Um, you know, they're they're probably going to be in the playoffs. Probably going to be an early playoff exit. So then we'll look at one more trade here. Um, and, we, of course, we got to talk Lakers because I feel like that's a theme here this <laughs> week at Radio Row. But the Lakers traded Russell Westbrook. Yes. We knew that there was some Finally. tension growing in that locker room. Um, didn't seem like he really wanted to be there anymore. But um, he is out. He's headed to the um, Timberwolves. Yes. No, the Jazz. Jazz. Sorry, the three-team trade. Yes. Read it wrong. So Russell Westbrook. So three-team trade, Jazz, Timberwolves. Lakers, so three teams out in the West. Lakers are landing D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, and Jared Vanderbilt. Um, Mike Conley is going to the Timberwolves. Russell Westbrook is going to the Jazz, as well as a 2027 LA first-round pick, I believe. Um, that is the deal. And also Juan Toscano-Anderson and Damian Jones to the Jazz. Nikhil Alexander-Walker to the Timberwolves. Timberwolves. So a lot of moving parts in this A lot trade. going on there. But m more the most important part of it, or the most important takeaway, Russell Westbrook is gone, and the Lakers have depth. Yes. And, you know, for as much as we talk about the Lakers, maybe now they'll finish 11th instead of 13th in the West. It's absolutely ridiculous to think that this team was one move away from competing. I don't know why we're talking about it this much. But the fact that the Lakers waited this long to trade Russell Westbrook to just get D'Angelo Russell back when over the offseason it was all but confirmed they had an offer on the table to move Russell Westbrook and some picks for Buddy Heald and Miles Turner. And that deal could have gone through, but now we're at this point in time and you're basically getting D'Angelo Russell for Russell Westbrook. It is just the Lakers management mismanaging this team over and over and over again. So, you know, you said the Lakers are 13th in the West. Obviously, still a couple months to the playoffs, but I mean, it feels like though. I feel like that team is definitely better, right? They're better with that depth. But could it be good enough? Do you think, like, if they get in position though to make the play-in, I think anything could happen. Ah, I I don't love it either. Don't get me wrong, but it, it's still LeBron James. I feel like if they if they go on a little bit of a run here, they could win, you know, six eight games in a row, put themselves back up in into the mix for the play-in. And if they get into that plan, I think anything could happen with that team. Here's what you can say about the Lakers is they have a very good top two in LeBron James and Anthony Davis who play very well together. And when they're on the court, because it doesn't seem like they're on the court together that often because Anthony Davis can't stay healthy and LeBron James is getting older. He needs his rest, deals with ankle soreness, things like that all the time. But if they are on the court together, in sync, playing well, Sure, the Lakers can go up against most teams in the NBA, but do I think they could do that consistently for a four-game for a four, five, six, seven-game series? No, no, I don't. 
interesting. But again, always hard to bet against LeBron James. Love him or hate him. Um, certainly uh, going to be a team to keep an eye on here in these last couple months of the season. All right, we are going to take a break here on the Director's Cut. More to come here from the Phoenix Convention Center. You're listening to WSBU 88.3 FM, The Buzz. The Bonaventure, established in 1926, is a weekly print and digital publication. Check out our website at www.thebvnewspaper.com or pick us up on campus and locally to keep track of the latest Bonaventure news, including sports, features, and opinion sections. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the BV Newspaper to stay informed on day-to-day -day life. When you go through a lot of stuff, you know, that doesn't go your way in life, you know, it's easy to be like, okay, I'm done, I'm quitting, whatever. Um, but, you know, I got that dog in me, I got that fight in me. So 88.3, The Buzz. Back here on the Director's Cut, we are going to transition into a couple of interviews. Number one, we have Ed Smith, a former player in the NFL, a former tight end in the NFL, now host of the Believe in Cardinals podcast. He'll be joining us here on The Buzz in just a moment. Stick with us here. You are listening to The Director's Cut. Jim's Park and Shop is a family-owned grocery store with all of your everyday needs and more. Jim's Park and Shop has an array of unique items, including Jim's Picks, which includes products that you can't find anywhere else in the Olean area. If you haven't tried them out already, one of their two-foot subs is a popular hit. You can check out some of their selection and get deli delivery to your door online at jimsparkandshop.com or visit the store on Front Street near Olean General Hospital. Back here on the Director's Cut, Nathan Salmon, Johnny Walker, pleased to be joined by a special guest, host of the Believe in Cardinals podcast and former NFL tight end, Ed Smith. Ed, thanks for joining us. Hey, appreciate you guys having me on. Hope you're enjoying this beautiful weather we have out here. Yeah, it's been absolutely <laughs> awesome being out here, and, and we're so glad to be able to talk to you. So I think we'll just kind of start with, you know, you growing up, and, and you know, I know you have a very kind of untraditional journey here uh, to where you are now in, into the NFL. I know you played some uh, minor league baseball. So uh, I guess just to start, could you just kind of talk about your uh, your journey and, and how, you know, you got into the NFL? Because I, I know, like I said, you're, you're playing some baseball for a while. Yeah, too. yeah. I actually signed out of high school way back in 1987 with the Chicago White Sox after uh, being assigned my letter of intent to go University of North Carolina. I spent nine years climbing the ladder in the minor leagues and eventually uh, got to a point where it was time to make a change or continue to do the same thing. I decided to make that change and uh, switched over to football in uh, the spring of 96. I went over to the World League of American Football, got back that spring or early that summer and went into my first NFL camp. And by well, you guys are from Buffalo, right? Yeah. I spent part of the 95 season with the Buffalo Bison. Okay. I was a Bison uh, that my last baseball uh, season. So, And then, like I so said, I made the switch to football in 96. Uh, came back here, played with Washington a couple years in Atlanta. Went to the Super Bowl with the Falcons after the 98 season. Also played in Detroit and Philly. And then finished up my last season in the XFL in Birmingham. So I got a little bit of taste of everything, man. So that was, yeah, over the course of 15 years, both sports. Yeah, so we're, we're down in Nolan. I don't know if you've been down there, just about an hour and a half south of Buffalo. Oh, okay, yeah, yes. yeah. So, you know, uh, what made you decide, though, to, to focus on football and make that switch? It was one of those things where after nine years, I, like I said, I was climbing that ladder. I was up in AAA, and, you know, but at the same time, I was going through some things in my career. I went through the steroid era where I watched guys continue to 
let's be honest, cheat, and I wasn't willing to do that. I saw a lot of guys continue to climb the ladder and bypass me, and I didn't think that was fair. Then I came upon the strike season of 94, which spilled into 95, and I had some repercussions from that where I didn't cross any lines, still felt like I was penalized, and after all that, you know, almost a decade in the game, I was right there. Like I said, I was in AAA, you know, doing what I needed to do, but I still felt like something was wrong, and I wasn't getting a fair shake, and, you know, football wasn't the first thing popped into my mind. The first thing I thought was, I got to do something different. I'm tired of this, you know, and I know guys that I play ball with signed, you know, in the same, around the same time I did, and they spent 12, 13, 14, 15 years chasing it and never got there, and I didn't want to be one of those guys, and after nine years and all the different things I dealt with, I just thought, okay, I'm going to do something different, and the crazy idea of football popped into my head. You know, I was an all-state guy, uh, you know, back when I was coming out of high school, and everybody thought I should go play football instead of baseball, which I didn't. And, you know, you start to have those what-ifs. And, you know, I had a rainy night in 1995 thinking what if I would have done that. And I ended up having a conversation with my brother, who was in the NFL at the time. He was a first-round pick out of Notre Dame, played under Lou Holtz. I, you know, he's enjoying his third year in the NFL, and I'm still struggling, older brother struggling through the minor leagues. But I gave him a call and asked him, you know, what he thought of me taking a shot, getting in shape, and, you know, you know, trying to see if I could pursue it. And if he would have told me, no, you, there's no way you can do it, I would have just threw the, the thought out of my head. But he said, if anybody can do it, you can do it, Ed. And that's what put me in that mindset to at least give it a try. And, you know, the rest is history. I, you know, like I said, made my way into the World League and was fortunate enough to, to go over there and be able to show my skills and, and then into the NFL, which is very unconventional way that I did it. You know, no college experience at all. Hadn't played football in over a decade, you know, when I put the pads back on, but had enough athletic ability to pull it off. Now, you mentioned your brother. You guys, from the outside looking in, kind of a football family. Irv yeah. Smith, your brother. Irv Smith Jr., now in the NFL. Yeah. You know, what's it kind of like being from a football family, or is there something different about your family that breeds football players? No, it's, it's you know, it's a skill set that we have, obviously, and, you know, it's, it's really cool. My brother and I, we talk to my nephew all the time about the difference in the era. You know, when my brother and I played, totally different game than it is now. No, no contact, uh, you know, after five yards as far as being a receiver. The way they practice, you can't beat up on each other like we used to. The concussion protocols, different things like that. So we kind of compare those things. As far as, you know, it, it be, it being in the family, it really is a skill set. You know, my, my brother, uh, great career at Notre Dame. If I would have come out of college playing or, you know, going out of high school playing football, I probably would have had a much different and longer career. But I'm very satisfied with how it went. And even speaking, I have a 12-year-old son, and all he wants to do is be like his cousin. So it's in the blood. He's already thinking about it. I keep trying to steer him in different directions. But, you know, we took a trip up uh, Halloween weekend this past year. We went up to see uh, the uh, Vikings play, uh, Cardinals of all teams. And like I said, my, my, my son, he's, he's already thinking about it. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. But it, it is really cool to see my nephew continue to be successful in his career and obviously know what my brother and I accomplished as well. Mm -hmm. And another interesting part of your story, you mentioned you played football internationally, you know, back in the late 90s. So 
the state of international football today, the NFL is really making an effort to make the game more international. What was the state of international football back then? They had no idea what we were doing over there. It was really, it was cool because we were kind of, I won't come to guinea pigs, we were kind of getting everything started. And you know how big soccer is in the world, mm -hmm. you know, and I was over in Europe and they looked at us like they had no idea what we were doing. But it was something they were starting to kind of gravitate to. My stadium in Germany, we packed 45,000 plus in our stadium wow. every game. On the flip side, though, you had like, because uh, some of the other cities we went to were Barcelona, London, Scotland. In London, it was an afterthought. You know, and, and even in Amsterdam, it was, you know, we'd go play them in their stadium. It was like 10, 15,000 people. So it was growing. They were trying to grow it. Now it's at an entirely different state, you know, where it's football is trying to become global. But it was interesting watching people trying to figure out what these dudes were doing out there, throwing each other, hitting each other. We're kicking it, but we're kicking it through this, you know, this oblong, this, you know, V-shaped. You know, but it was cool to, to try to explain it to uh, European, uh, you know, fans. But like I said, they, they, it's definitely grown worldwide now. What was the biggest culture shock coming from America going over to Europe? I would say the, the convenience and things we do over here and even our food. You know, like over there, and this, things have probably gotten a lot different, but I remember sitting in my hotel room the first time thinking, well, I'll call and get a pizza ordered or something like that. Mm -hmm. they, they didn't know. I mean, there was there were so many conveniences that we had here that they just weren't up to snuff that at that time. And I'm pretty sure it's gotten a lot better, but, you know, just the food and, 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 and just, and obviously the language, that was a huge culture shock. I, and, and then going from, Germany to Spain and different places with all these different languages and, and that's not necessarily speaking them, you know, it, that was that was huge too. But the food, convenience, and the language, those are the biggest things for me. Now, with this Believe in, in Cardinals podcast, you know, you, I know that, that helps you keep uh, so connected to the NFL. Just what's been the best part about uh, doing this podcast so far? Well, you know, it's, re it's really, you know, the Cardinals, one, keep, have kept it interesting for us with all the drama going on behind Kyler Murray and the contract situation and now we've spiraled out of being a playoff team to now you know number third pick in the draft that's how fast things can change in the nfl just being able to follow it and i also my radio partner and i we do the believe podcast together we also do a weekly show out here on uh, 10 60 a.m so you know we we just following them and the the, the, the drama and the storylines <clears throat> just a lot to keep up with and you know just makes it that much more interesting you know sometimes you'll from some time you'll find or follow teams that are quote-unquote boring cardinals have definitely not been boring for us and it just seems like they're going to continue to give us uh storylines and things to talk about as they're still trying to find a head coach uh, is that because murray nobody wants to work with murray is it because you know they don't want to work with bidwell there's so many storylines and you know, like i said the cardinals right now have been the gift that continues to give what's the biggest change that you've noticed you know just you know in, in doing the podcast and doing the radio show about the nfl compared to your playing days oh that is a great question i would say how widely it's covered and you know and i the super bowl i played in was 33 back in uh january of 99 and that pales in comparison to just the how intensely everything is covered, and even just the regular season. Football has become a sport that is from the end of the season all the way through the off season. There's storylines, there's combine, there's draft, 
uh, off-season stuff is covered so widely now that it never takes a break. Before, even as a player, you know, you finish the season, you go off into the sunset, you get some rest. That's not the st- – I mean, we've got an NFL network and different – you know, even ESPN and different channels, it's 24-7 now. And that's just, the NFL has kind of taken over the sporting world as the number one sport, I think. You know, you know before baseball was America's game, I think football's kind of taken that, that, that leap and, and taken over that spot. But just the magnitude, and I can only imagine. I remember playing in this, like I said, 20-plus years ago. I thought it was over the top then. This is unbelievable. Just, you know, you guys are seeing it firsthand being here for media, the media week, the, the, I guess a player, I can only imagine how much is put on the guys to kind of distract them from the game. But, you know, this is, this is fun. This is what it's all about. Last question I got. We talked about this on our show the other day. A.J. Green, recently retired, spent some time with the Cardinals. Is he a Hall of Famer? Hmm, golly, that's a good question. I would say he's a friends guy. If I was a voter, unfortunately, I'd probably say no. I, you know, and I hate saying that about anybody in their career, you know, but the Hall of Fame is, that's supposed to be for the upper echelon yep. guys, the guys that separated themselves. And A.J. Green had far better career than I ever had in the NFL. But there are certain guys that are, you know, if you have to think about it, I'm always, if you have to think about it for more than a second, eh, he's probably... And that they call that Hall of Very Good. I would say he's in the Hall of Very Good, not the Hall of Fame. Awesome, Ed. But actually, before you let it go, we got got to ask, who are you picking on Sunday? Oh, man, I've been back and forth on this one. Uh, I'm going to go Kansas City, 27-24. Good close game, Ooh. come down to the end. Uh, Patrick Mahomes just figures out a way. Against that, def- that defensive front of the Eagles, that's going to be a tall task. And then on the other side, if the Eagles decide they want to come out and run that ball the way they do, that might be tough for Kansas City to overcome. But I'm going Kansas City 27. I like Eagles it. Ed, 24. an incredible journey to the NFL. Thanks so much for joining us and, and telling us about it and, and uh, telling us about the Believe in, Pod, Believe in Cardinals podcast. Appreciate it. You guys keep up the good work, man. I'm going to start following you guys. Awesome. We appreciate it. Thank you, man. So what are you waiting for? I don't know. Something amazing, I guess. 88.3 The Buzz. That was totally wicked! Back here on the Director's Cut, that was former NFL tight end Ed Smith. And now we are going to transition into interview number two here of this Day 4 Director's Cut show. Joining us momentarily is going to be current TikTok personality and former collegiate tight end Adam Brenneman. He's going to talk about uh, his really his career up to this point, being a, a, an online influencer and, and, and his journey through the college ranks as well as what NIL looks like now. So be sure to stick with us here. Adam Brenneman joining us in a moment here on The Buzz. Now that we're done with that, you want to see my renegade? 88.3 The Buzz. Back here on the Director's Cut, WSBU 88.3 FM, The Buzz. We are 
pleased to be joined by a special guest, former college football player and current TikTok personality, Adam Brenneman. Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks Appreci for joining us. Appreciate you guys having me. Now, first, we'll kind of start here, you know, with, with your college career, kind of just leading up in, into what you're doing now on TikTok. So, uh, I know you played football at, at Penn State and, and then UMass. Just uh, to start, just kind of touch on your, your journey, uh, you know, through those two schools. Yeah, I, um, you know, it started for me in high school as a five-star recruit. Had offers from basically every school in the country. Uh, ended up going to Penn State and uh, was there for three years. Was a freshman All-American. Had some had a knee injury, which ended up plaguing me the rest of my career. But uh, transferred to UMass. Played at UMass for two years. Was a two-time All-American there. Uh, John Mackey Award finalist. And then um, was in the Senior Bowl, NFL Combine. Failed some physicals. My same knee that was messed up from my time at Penn State. Came back to kind of bite me again and um, stopped playing football when I was 20, 22, 23 years old. And then uh, got into coaching. I coached two years at Arizona State, was the tight ends coach there, and uh, right, right, right close to where we are right now. I lived, I had a place and, you know, lived in Scottsdale for a while, and, um, you know, really over the past year, the movement of the athlete-driven media, and you get guys like Pat McAfee and, and all these different um, things popping up was kind of motivating for me, and I felt like in college football, I have a really unique voice in that I, I, was, a, I was a big recruit. I was an All-American at two, two different schools. I went through the transferring process. I coached. I've done media, all this different stuff, and I could speak on the game at a, at a high level, and I decided to go all in on a media career. And uh, you mentioned TikTok, posting a bunch of content, hosting some shows, and uh, I do, you know, doing some broadcasting stuff too with ESPN. So uh, it's been it's been a fun fun journey and kind of a lot of twists and turns to get to the, this point today. And you know, you mentioned the injuries, of course. I know that's something you talked a lot about, uh, you know, on your platforms on how that kind of changed, you know, your trajectory, you know, especially in your playing career. So how did that? You know, change things for you. Do you think that you would have been able to uh, make that next step to the NFL without some of those injuries? Yeah, you know, I, I think um, you know, if it wasn't for my knee, I think yeah, I think I would have played a long time in the NFL. You know, I played at a really high level in college, was an All-American three times, and um, you know, but at the end of the day, you can't change the cards you're dealt. You know, you, you, everyone's dealt a certain deck of cards in life, and it's all about how you play the hand. And for me, you know, I I got dealt a pretty bad deal with my left knee, but you know, at the end of the day, if you can just stay positive and, and, you know, for me, I always had things I wanted to do other than just play football, you know, and, and that, that was a blessing. You know, some guys don't have that. Some guys, that's their whole identity. It definitely was my identity, but I, I always had other stuff. I always knew I wanted to maybe coach someday, maybe in media, maybe do business. Like I always had other things that motivated me. So when I had to make the transition, I just went all in on the next thing, you know, and that's all I knew. But it was definitely tough and, you know, obviously wish I could have played a long time in the NFL. Now, you know, with your path into more of a media career, do you think you would be at the same place you are today without a new media platform like TikTok versus maybe an older media platform like some of the people around the outside? Yeah, here? yeah. Great question. I think uh, the answer is no. I don't think I would have. I mean, when I look back over the past year in media, every opportunity I've gotten has come from social media, mostly TikTok. Um, literally. I mean, almost every single one. I mean, you talk about... ESPN found me through TikTok. Mm -hmm. um, if it wasn't for social media, short t short form vertical video, I mean, I, I probably wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have uh, had all the opportunities I've had, you know. And, and I've learned one thing: when you have attention on social media, 
so many opportunities come up. And uh, and for me, you know, for someone who didn't study media, didn't pr didn't know how to do it, didn't like go to school to do it, um, just had kind of a background in football. It was it was uh, you know the perfect fit to kind of start producing content, and and a lot of it's kind of worked out from that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the barrier to entry on TikTok is so low. Anybody can make a TikTok and start posting stuff. Why do you think people were drawn to you specifically? I think. You know, it's funny when I look at the videos that for me that do really well. I mean, you guys know TikTok's algorithm. You get one video that gets 30 views and the next mm -hmm. gets 200,000. You know, yeah. you just deal with it like that. Um, when I look at the videos that did that do well, it's when it's when it's personal. It's when it's yeah. stories from my career. The stuff that doesn't do as well is, you know, hey, here's who's going to win the Super Bowl. You know, the stuff that's better is I went through this in my career. I know this guy. Here's a story about recruiting. Here's what it's like to be a broadcaster. Um, when you can personalize your content, people want to see an authentic person. People, I, people love people. They identify with people. Uh, so I think that just being able to tell my story and being able to shine a light on, you know, my career and what it's like to be a five-star recruit, what it's like to be an All-American in college, what it's like to be a coach, what it's like to be a broadcaster. Uh, most of my following, really, on TikTok is is high school high school boys. I mean, that's like high school boys that want to be football players. Um, and it's been cool just to shine that light on, on you know, football and the sport, on my career. I think, you know, when you say what's given you, what's kind of helped you on, on your platform, it's that, it's those experiences. You know, if it wasn't for those experiences, you know, I probably wouldn't have had the, I wouldn't have the platform or the story to talk about that would have, you know, gotten me, um, you know, gotten me, you know, a lot of the views and attention I had. Were you surprised that you took off on TikTok and blew up like you did? I think, yes, uh, how fast it kind of happened. I mean, I think like the third video I posted got like s three, four million views, and it was about, it was about, you know, about how I uh, retired from football. It was like I was right before the NFL, I retired. Um, that video ripped off, and I was like, oh, this is pretty fun. You know, I just started, started posting videos and uh, trying to, trying to uh, you know, watching the view count go up and things like that. You know, I, so, yeah, I was surprised. You know, I, I've learned, man, like you just got to – with the content game, you just got to post content and not worry about really a whole lot else. You know, mm -hmm. you get if you get too caught up in the view, how many views am I getting? You know, how many, how much engagement do I have? You just got to post and just let it, let the algorithm dictate if it's good or not. If it's bad, no one's going to watch it. If it's good, it'll get a million views. <laughs> you know, so um, I, it's been it's been a fun journey though. Now you're still a pretty young guy, but back when you played in college, there, you know, there's no such thing as NIL. So just what have you noticed most about that? Um, you know, in these last couple of years since, since NIL has really been a big thing yeah i mean nil has completely changed the game in college football i think overall it's a great thing for the sport obviously there's some negatives to it obviously there, it gets a bad rap sometimes i've always said in nil and in, in in college football if college football is a business for it's a business for everyone it's a business for the administrators business for the media it's a business for the even the fans that are betting on the games it's a business for the athletic director the the head coach the assistant coaches and then it should be a business for the players too and the players should be able to profit and make money uh the problem college football has is that in college football you have this thing called recruiting that dictates everything right and when you add recruiting in with the transfer portal in with nil it can create a bad formula at times now at its core nil is a great thing and and uh it's just Anytime something new happens in sports or in the world, there's always bad actors right away. There's always some some hoops and some some 
you know, uh, stipulations you got to get through. But I think NIL is on the right track. I think we, we've seen we've seen the, the 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 great parts of it. You've seen guys be able to change their lives through it. Uh, and I think once once the NCA federal legislation figures out how to get rid of the tampering, get rid of the kind of pay to play schemes, uh, NIL will be in a great spot. But at its core and, and for what it's intended to be, I think NIL has been a great thing for for college sports. And you know, we're we're a college radio station, of course, and we have you know student athletes you know, yeah. potentially listening. What's your advice to them in terms of pursuing NIL? Content. <laughs> I think. I think. I, I, I. It's funny. I was talking to a couple uh, sports agents who represent college kids in NIL deals, and uh, they they were saying to me, you know, what, what what's your advice? Like, how do guys get NIL deals? And I was. They were showing me their players, and they were pulling up. I said, show me their Instagram profile, and they were pulling up their Instagram, and the guys. This one guy had like 15 photos, all of himself, just photos of himself playing football, nothing else on his page. And like he had a clean look on Instagram, like don't it was a cool had a bunch of followers, but like, what is a brand gonna do with that? You know, like what's it when a brand pulls up your Instagram, you're an athlete, and there's 15 pictures of you, and that's it. There's no videos, no content, no no lifestyle con Like, how are you gonna work with a brand? They're gonna look at that and be like, I don't know how we work with this guy, as opposed to a guy, Isaac Rochelle, NFL player, practice squad guy, never was very good in the NFL, makes millions and millions and millions of dollars in brand deals because he has a he has a social media following and because he posts content um shows his life he's vulnerable he he interacts with his fans so my advice to guys would be to post content show your life people want to see if you're a college athlete no matter what level you're at you're in the one percent i mean you know you're playing big time football basketball whatever allow people to see that side of your life and i and i promise if you post good content and it you're consistent, it'll get views, and once you get views, once you get followers, you have attention on social media, and brands will want to work with you, even more so than, you know, uh, maybe a guy who may be a better player at a bigger school, but isn't posting content. So, you know, we looking at this uh, Super Bowl matchup on Sunday, of course, the, the main reason yeah. why uh, we're all here, two great tight ends. Uh, you were a tight end, you know, in college, so mm -hmm. uh, what do you like about this, uh, this tight end matchup? It's a great one, man. It's funny. Dallas was my roommate at the Senior Bowl when I was graduating, okay. so wow. um, I know Dallas pretty well, and uh, there's a lot of similarities between Travis and, and Dallas. You know, y you look at, for Travis, when Travis is at his best and when he's making the big plays, it's really, you know... It, what makes Travis so good isn't necessarily his athleticism. It's not always – he's not the fastest guy. He's not going to have the best vertical jump. There's, there's tight ends way more athletic than he is. He has such good feel for the game. And when, he, when he's at his best is when Mahomes is scrambling, broken plays, rolling out, escapes a sack, and makes a big play down the field. Um, Dallas, a little bit more of a traditional tight end where he'll stick his nose in there, play action, seam routes, that kind of stuff. Uh, but a lot of similarities, and I think it's been fun for me as a former tight end, as a guy who coached tight ends in college football, to see the tight end position kind of become a sexy position in, in football. You know, like uh, 10 years ago, no one was growing up being like, I want to be a tight end. You know, now you have kids in the backyard that are like, hey, I want to be a tight end. You know, like, I want to I be like Gronk. I want to be like Travis Kelsey. Uh, so it's been really cool to see, and the Super Bowl is going to be a great display of, of, you know, elite tight end play. And, of course, before we let you go, we got to ask, you know, who are you picking on Sunday? We got the Eagles 27-21 taking the under. Um, I think the Eagles are going to be able to run the football. When the Eagles run the ball, they're unstoppable on offense. They're, Jalen Hurts is at his best when they're running the football. Uh, I think they're going to be able to handle them up front, run the ball, and, and uh, I think the Eagles, Eagles will take this one away. Smart man. I like yeah. it. I like you man. like it? Yes. Love it, man.
Adam, thanks so much for the time, man. Much yeah. appreciated. And uh, best of luck going forward here on, on TikTok and, and growing your brand. Thanks, that. man. Appreciate you guys having me. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Well, I've gotten the results back. He is deaf. This is horrible. This must be because of all that loud blaring music he's been playing in those nightclubs. What's going on? Can he fix it in time for me to DJ at the music festival? No. What? No. What? Are you sure? Yes. What? <laughs> Have a good life. 88.3 The Buzz. Back here on WSBU 88.3 FM The Buzz, the director's cut. Final couple of minutes here on the show. We are going to kind of do something similar but different compared to what we did on Tuesday. So the other day we looked at some of the bets for the Super Bowl, kind of not related to football, but today we're going to actually look at some of the ones more related to football in terms of passing, rushing, defense, that whole nine yards. So we're going to start here. You know, uh, this, These are all courtesy of uh, CBS Sports, so got to give them the credit they deserve for all the lines and the odds. But we're going to start off here. Just going in order, passing touchdowns, over-under set for Jalen Hurts, one and a half. That's really interesting. That's really interesting because you, you think he'll throw one or two. So one and a half is a good line. I'm going to take the under, though. I think the Eagles really lean on their rushing offense in this game, and that means Jalen Hurts. We haven't seen him throw the ball a whole heck of a lot throughout the rest of the playoffs, so I start in the Super Bowl. I'm going to take the under. This one's a tough one, too. I think just maybe for the sake of this, I will go. I'll, I'll take the over. I think the Chiefs might be expecting the run so much that the Eagles might have uh, a, a few more approaches in terms of passing the ball uh, and, and some more passing plays in their book. So I'm going to go with the over. For Patrick Mahomes, though, that one is at 2.5. I'll go first here. I, I'm actually going to take the under here. Really? I do. I I, I, don't, okay. I know it's a Super Bowl and everything. Uh, Eagles have a good defense. I just I really can't see Mahomes throwing three touchdowns, personally. I think I think he'll throw two. Um I, I think they'll get a rushing touchdown, you know, maybe just a couple, you know, a, a punch in or something, a one or two yard rush, um, a couple of field goals from Harrison Butker, um, but, but maybe a, probably like a passing touchdown to Kelsey and, and maybe one to either Juju or, or Mar Marquez Valdez-Scantling. I think if the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl, Patrick Mahomes has to go over on this. He has to because their entire offense is dependent on him having a big game. But if this Super Bowl goes the way I think it will, which is with the Eagles playing ground, playing on the ground, clock control. Patrick Mahomes might go under, but I just can't bet against Patrick Mahomes like that. I'm taking the over. So we'll switch to yards now. Jalen Hurts hits over under 237.5. That's, that's, that's very high. high. That's a very high line. I'm going to go under. Yeah, I, I, I think that's I'm a smart play. Under. He was well on under 180, I believe. Both in, the in over both. and the under on this are minus 117. Yeah. Well, I'm not even really necessarily looking at the odds. I'm just looking at the numbers set. Yeah. But um, I, I'm still I'm taking the under because he was well well under 200 in each each of his first two playoff games. So I'm I'm taking it. I'm hammering it. If some brave soul out there wants to take the over on Jalen Hurts 237 and a half, props to you, man. It ain't gonna be me though. Should be better than or, or greater than minus one 117 yeah. in my book. But uh, anyway, not my book. Um, Patrick Mahomes. 295 and a half. What do we think here? This is I don't, this is a pretty reasonable one. This is more of a makeup line from last against the Bengals. I forgot exactly what the line was, but it was low. It was much lower than that. So Vegas expects Patrick Mahomes to have a damn good Super Bowl. 300 yards, two and a half, three touchdowns. That's Super Bowl MVP territory, but 
I guess if I'm going over on three touchdowns, you have to go over 295 and a half yards, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take under. I think he's going to be at about 280. I know that Patrick Mahomes is, is the best quarterback in the world right now, and I, I totally wholeheartedly agree with it, but uh, 303 touchdowns is a lot to ask in the Super Bowl when it's the best team in the AFC against the best team in the NFC, and I think that is pretty unarguable right now. So um, going to go under. I think he'll be in the. Cl- I think he'll be close. I think he'll be 280, 285 with two touchdowns. I'm not saying he's going to have a bad game at all because I think he will have a good game, but I don't know if he's going to have a great game. So we'll go Mahomes under. Um, you're taking me over. Now, this line is the same. Uh, the, the odds are a little bit different, but the line is the same for each of them over under half a pick. So will will either of these quarterbacks or both of them throw a pick? Because honestly, I think both of them probably throw picks. I think Patrick Mahomes is more likely to throw a pick out of the two of them just because he throws the ball more, takes more chances. Mm-hmm. Um, I would not be at all surprised if either of them throws an interception. I wouldn't at all be surprised if either of them has a clean game. So to me... I, I would not bet money on this one is what I'm saying. Lions at .5, I'm not touching it. So those are some passing ones. We will switch here to re- rushing now. Um, a couple of the top ones here. Uh, maybe you can just tell me what you like. Uh, Miles Sanders, 16.5. Jalen Hurts, 15.5. Kenneth Gainwell, 20.5. Those are our three listed here for the Eagles. What do you like? I really like the Kenneth Gainwell one, but I'll go out there a little bit and say the Jalen Hurts one. I think they're going to run the ball through Jalen Hurts a lot in this game. I would not be surprised if he nears triple Dutch's rushing yards. Interesting. That is the quarterback. We sometimes don't see the quarterback run the ball all too often. We see Josh Allen do it here and there. But, but in the Super Bowl, you put our everything on the line. We have to win this game. There's no rest of the season to keep Jalen Hurts healthy for. If your best option to pick up that first down even on first down, we've seen the Bills do it with Josh Allen. I think the Eagles are going to run the ball through Jalen Hurts in a lot of situations. I can tell you this. I would not touch that line. I think I, It wouldn't surprise me if it goes over, though, but that is one I would not touch with a 10-foot pole. So uh, we'll st- we'd stay away from that one. Uh, Miles Sanders is really having a good year. I'd, I'd probably take him over 60.5. I think that's what I like there. Um, but for rushing yards, in terms of the Chiefs, Isaiah Pacheco, 48.5, Jarek McKinnon 19.5, Patrick Mahomes 18.5. I heard a lot of people talking about they like the over for Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Are you in agreement there? I think so, and I also wouldn't touch the line for any of the Chiefs running backs. It is so murky as to who is the lead guy. It's by committee. Backfield. It's by committee. The offense is so good all altogether, but I mean, r- running backs and receivers, it's really by committee. I would not put money on any individual running back in Kansas City. Wouldn't do it. So you, you take Mahomes over 18.5, though? Probably. I, th- I think that's probably too low. All right, we'll do some receiving yards, and that will really wrap up our show. So for Eagles, A.J. Brown, 70.5. Devonta Smith, 61.5. Dallas Goddard, 47.5. Really the three primary receivers there for the Eagles. Out of, out of those three, what do you like? I think I would take the under on all three of them. I really think the Eagles are going to try to keep this thing on the ground. And that might come at the expense of a guy like A.G. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard. I'm not saying that by taking the under, this offense is going to be ineffective or anything like that. Just that their style is keeping it on the ground. Yeah, I think i take the under here too. I mean, I, I still think that um, the Eagles could pass the ball a little bit more but than, than before. But um, I, I'm going to take the under probably on all of them. I think if anything, if the over hits, it'll, I think it will be on chunk plays. You know, play action, sure. suck sure. the defense up, throw one over the top. So maybe one of these guys will go over on chunk plays, but it's not going to be a day where A.J. Brown has 10 catches for 110 yards or anything like that. And for the Kansas City Chiefs, Travis Kelsey, 77 and a half. 
Juju Smith-Schuster, 36.5. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, 35.5. I think what I, I think I like Valdez-Scantling over 35.5. He's looked really good in the playoffs. Uh, I think you kind of got to keep riding that hot hand. I'll go with Valdez-Scantling over 35.5, but uh, I don't think Travis Kelsey over 77.5 is, is all too bad of a, of a bet either. That's exactly where I was going. I would hammer over on Travis Kelsey 77.5. Hammer it. He's... Patrick Mahomes' favorite weapon in the biggest game of the year. You know Patrick Mahomes is going to go to him early and often. Andy Reid is going to try to scheme him open early and often. Travis Kelsey, I expect to have a big day. I like it. I, I like it. All right. So that's going to do it here for the Director's Cut. Day four from Super Bowl 57 Radio Row. But be sure to stick with us. At 7 o'clock, we have Sype and Smitty, followed by the Wild Card at 8 o'clock. And then, of course, our final day from Radio Row, we will be on air 6 to 9 tomorrow night. Thank you for tuning in to the Director's Cut. Stay with us, though, for more action from Radio Row here on WSBU 88.3 FM, The Buzz.